Welcome to the Life of Christ Series 3, Term 4. This is Lesson 29. Um, we have just reordered all our chapters in the second book. So we are now going to be referring to the chapters within the middle. Chapters 6 through 12, or excuse me, 7 through 12, uh, are actually uh, the chapters that were in Book 2. So if you're thinking, hang on, weren't we in you know, Book 2, Chapter 6, when we left off? We still are, but now it's chapter 12 overall. Okay, so from now on that's, that's the reference I'll be giving and so my chapters will be exactly like your chapters. Alright, now, in chapter 12, <laughs> alright, <laughs> last time uh, we began, I believe it was in page 28, where it said his word was with authority, and we were looking at that and why his word was with authority. We covered five of the six things uh, last time, so very quickly, I'll just quickly go over those things just briefly. On page 30, I believe, was the first uh, reason why his word was with authority, with our Kent Hughes saying that he was so real, so true, so utterly, passionately sincere. Amen? That should be at the top of that page. Going down to the middle of the page, we looked at the second reason that the people were astonished at his teaching. It was because he spoke the truth. See, the difference between you know, us quoting things today and what they did back then was they nitpicked at things. They weren't revelations you understand? It wasn't some wonderful insight about something. It was like, well, you know, the, the, the Sabbath says you can't do this. So does that mean the, bed, the person can't pick up a stick or a bed or, a, you know, all of that useless things that nobody cared about? So when Jesus started preaching, he didn't talk about all that stuff. He started talking about real life situations. And they were not used to that. They were just, it just took them by surprise. The third reason why they were astonished at his teaching was because... He presented matters of great significance, matters of life and death and eternity. And we looked at all of this before. The fourth reason was because he was systematic, focused, and actually made sense. <laughs> okay? Whereas they would go off in all kinds of little rabbit trails, he stuck to the point. He'd start somewhere and he says, you know, a farmer goes out and he does this. And you know the end of the story is going to make sense. Okay, from the beginning. It's not going to be somewhere they go, I think he lost it. Okay, he went off somewhere else and what was the beginning again? Some, that, that happens with us sometimes, but it, he was very clear. He was very focused. The fifth reason for their astonishment, and I'm on page 32 now, was the way he excited their curiosity by making use of all kinds of illustrations from nature and everyday life. And we looked at that before as well. We were talking about the farmer going out to sow a seed and so on. So they knew. They, when he was talking, they go, yes, yeah, we know that. We've seen that. That's what I do. Okay, Some, there'll be a little farmer in there going, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> okay, And so it would make sense. He would talk to them about things that were commonplace in their life. Whereas the rabbis would carry on about things that nobody could relate to. Okay, and so that was really important as well. Now we would, up to the sixth and most important reason the people were astonished at his teaching was because unlike the scribes and Pharisees who constantly borrowed from fallible sources, often scribe, one scribe quoting another scribe, was a quote, Jesus' message came directly from the very heart and mind of God. See, that's what makes the difference. If you're quoting somebody, if they receive something from the Lord, then it is from the Lord. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Okay? It's not what they think. 
They have received revelation. And see, that's one, one of the things I learned a long time ago. Why reinvent the wheel? You know, like if somebody's come up with something, let's go with that until God says otherwise. And, and one of the things that I found when I was doing my research and I was studying was God actually said that to me. He said, there's a lot of revelation in this earth, but they're sitting on shelves. Nobody's looking at them. You know, and so we, we're saying, oh, we want our own revelation. And so we go and, you know, it takes us 30 years before we get the same thing that guy had. If we, you know, if we did education that way, and if we, you know, pro- can you imagine how bad progress would be? Because we'd have to learn how to make a wheel before we got going. And it might take us 20 years before we got there, instead of going, okay, this is what a wheel looks like, this is how we've improved it, let's go on from there. So that we get to a place where instead of trying to discover the wheel, we're sticking it on a space shuttle and sending it off to the moon or wherever. <laughs> okay? Do you see what I'm trying to say? And so there's a difference in what we do. And it, it, you know, it's not a bad thing to receive from other people. Okay? If the Lord is speaking, then the Lord is speaking. That's the one thing you have to determine. Is the Lord speaking? I have picked up reference books and my gosh, I've, you know, uh, put them down straight away. Because the Lord wasn't speaking. <laughs> okay? This is all them. So it's quite difficult to actually find those that are actually tuned into God and actually hearing from God. And then God will use their specific insights and their experiences to give them knowledge that they can then bring accurately into this earth. That we can go, wow, that actually makes sense. Amen. And I see a lot of that happening in the scientific world where people have followed a certain discipline, you know, physics or chemistry or whatever, or maths, whatever. And because of that, God can now talk to them about some of the things in His Word and they'll actually recognize it. Well, some theologian scratches it and goes, so what? <laughs> okay. You need to know when God is speaking through people. And you also need to know when He's not. So this wasn't, it wasn't that sort of stuff here. This is somebody said here, and somebody said this over there, and nobody really cares. Okay, <laughs> okay, that sort of stuff. Jesus' messages came directly from the very heart and mind of God. As He makes clear in John 8.26, when He says, I have much to say about you and much to condemn, but I won't. For I say only what I've heard from the one who sent me, and he is true. In other words, Jesus is also saying here, there are things I want to say, but I'm not going to say it because God isn't saying it. Isn't that something? I mean, here is God manifested in the flesh. Think about this now. Okay? He knows stuff from his pre-existence. He knows stuff. There are things that he knows. That's why when he comes up with demons and they say things, he says, shut up. He didn't say, oh, tell me some more because I don't know any of this stuff. How do you know I'm the Holy One of God? We're going to look at that today. All right? He he knew and he knew what he needed to know. Okay? And so, (laughs) once again, we see here, if Jesus, God manifests in the flesh, is careful about what he says and that he doesn't just express everything, you know, because remember, he is in a body. Okay? And the body isn't redeemed. So he's aware of there are things in the flesh that he'd want to do that may not be necessarily exactly good. Do you all get what I'm saying? I'm not saying anything bad about Jesus. Okay? But he had to put a suit on. He had to put a body on. And that thing is, it was not redeemed because he hadn't died. Go to the cross. Okay? And go on the cross and died. And she got that wrong way around. <laughs> Alright, so... It is because it was from God Himself. Whatever Jesus ministered was always with authority. Something that the scribes and Pharisees had no knowledge or understanding of, which is more than apparent in their continual arguments with Him and even their desire to kill Him. So we, you see, 
Because they argued points of doctrine and Jesus was, was coming from a whole other level. All right, he got totally away from religion. He got into reality. He started talking about things that were actually important. They wanted somebody to fuss with them about all their little, you know, argumentative things that they are constantly, you know, carrying on about that nobody cares about. Okay? And so this and so when he starts talking about things that are actually relevant and actually life-changing, it annoys them. You know why? Cuz he shows them up for their lack of hearing from God. Are you all here? Okay. And can I say this? Had they been hearing from God, the things that came out of his mouth would have been gems. They would have thought, wow! You know, I was trying to preach that on Sunday or whenever, Sabbath day, Saturday, okay? <laughs> At the synagogue, I couldn't quite get it out. That's what I wanted to say. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I know, I, I got a sermon to preach next Sabbath, okay? Or, or Saturday, okay? You, you know what I'm trying to say? That's how they should have gone. Instead of being mad at him and just carrying on about the things that they did. Which showed us, and shows it, which is what I'm saying here now, which shows us they weren't hearing from God at all. So instead of hearing and appreciating, they were arguing. What spirit is that? Not God. Amen? R. Kent Hughes writes, What a lesson to the four new fishermen. To be sure, they did not sit down and analyze the situation in classical categories. But they learned by his example. They knew he was genuine. They knew he passionately cared. He's got four disciples following around at the moment. Okay, They saw how he handled God's word, preaching it clearly. As they themselves ministered in the name and the example of Christ, they would experience miraculous power, for the Holy Spirit is pleased to use such messengers. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's go on to the next part. Jesus casts out unclean spirits. Returning to Mark chapter 1. We're going to continue on through verses 23 through 28. The reason that we took Mark's account was because Mark just carries on into the next thing. Alright, so we're just going to follow on here. It parallels Luke chapter 4 verses 33 through 37, where we encounter for the very first time in the Gospels, Jesus casting out demons. Are we all ready for this? Yeah, demons, man. Okay, alright, no big deal. Alright. (laughs) It heralds the beginning of Jesus' direct attack on the powers of darkness. See, now this is where this changes now. Up to now, he's been ministering, he's been preaching, and so on and so forth. Uh, Some of them are simply going, yeah, that's really good. Others are going, we don't know what, you know, we, we don't know how to take this. But for the first time now, when he does what he's about to do, this is a direct attack on hell. Because these are now demons. These are not people that are influenced by demons. These are demons themselves. Do you understand? Okay. Alright. Let's begin again. So it heralds the beginning of Jesus' direct attack on the powers of darkness and gives us great insight into what the Apostle John meant when he wrote in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that He might destroy the works of the devil. Okay, so we are going to see what the Apostle John saw, because he was here, alright, and what he actually meant when he wrote this, alright, because he was there firsthand. So, this obviously includes demonic possession and demonic oppression. Well, let, me, let me just, uh, I don't know if you guys know the difference. Um, possession is when a demon takes a person over. They have no will of their own, so to speak. Okay, and so they're they just being led by the demon. Oppression is when you still have your will, but it, it's very difficult for you to do the things you want to do. 
Alright? So you, you feel very um, driven towards certain things and you're thinking this is not right. But you still have a will. You can still fight it. The difference, the major, the major difference between the two is from what I've understood. And this is not gospel. This is what I think. Did you all get this? Okay, alright, so please. All right. um, what I believe the difference is, is that because as Christians you have God living in you, a demon can't possess you. This is what I believe, okay? But what they can do is oppress you. They can't get on the inside of you, but dear God, they can get all over you. They can get in your head, they can, they can be going on saying all sorts of things, bringing all kinds of fear and so on and so forth. Again, you need to let it in, but again, they, you, know, you know what I'm trying to say? They can do their job only that way. But for a person that's not saved, remember how Jesus said, if you cast out a demon from someone, and it's empty and garnish, and, and, it comes, and if he keeps it that way, and if he doesn't put something else in it, like the Word of God, okay, and God himself in there, what happens is the demon will come back seven times worse on that because it's just open for him to come back in. This is why you have to be really careful if you ever um, deliver somebody that's not a Christian, be really careful. Because if they don't receive Jesus Christ, they are open to become seven times worse than they were at the beginning. You get this? So, just because we can, doesn't mean we do. That's why you need to check with God before you do anything. Alright, I think sometimes, you know, like, well... (laughs) As Jesse Duplantis this one, put it, you know, where like little Christians, babies, with little diapers on, and they're coming down, and we just want to go and just cast out every demon and do everything that we can, just because we can. Okay, mature sons and daughters don't do that. We go to God and say, just because there's a need, check. Alright, you know, people want stuff off of them, but they may not do the right thing after that. Which will then cause them more problems and more grief. Okay? And so then your victory becomes very temporary and becomes, in fact, the doorway to something worse. Alright, so having said all that. Okay, so that's the difference between de- demonic possession and demonic oppression. Alright, so what I'm saying to you also is don't ever be concerned about being possessed. You're already possessed by the Holy Spirit. Okay, there's already a spirit in there. There's no room. This is one of those classic cases. There ain't enough room for both of them. <laughs> okay? One gets in and he's God, man. He's all, I mean, he's there. And if anything tries to get in there, trust me, it'll be taken care of very quickly. That's one thing that's established. Okay? The Apostle John talks about that. That we shouldn't be concerned about things like that. Because the greater one lives inside of us. Alright. But again, like I said, there is oppression. Okay? Where he can just... You know, you see that happening with Christians. They, they just run around like chickens without heads. And you're saying, just settle down. Be still and know he is God. You know? Yes, but what if? You know, you know what I'm trying to say? Okay? Alright. That's oppression. Alright. In his commentary, Craig A. Evans says that the point of the miracles that follow is to show us that Jesus has power and authority over demonic forces felt responsible for disease and demon possession. Did you get all of that? So he had power over the things that they believed that caused a lot of the sickness and disease and all the problems they were having in people's lives. Okay? Furthermore, since it was commonly believed that leprosy and crippling diseases were frequently the result of sin, it was necessary that such conditions be physically healed as evidence of the forgiveness of sins and spiritual restoration. So there are two things happening here now. Okay, so you need to see these things now. So, number one, th- th- see, that's why Jesus, you know, would say, uh, you know, take up a bed and walk. You know, your sins are forgiven, you take up a bed and walk. 
Because this was what they believed. If you sin, something bad happened to you. Okay, alright. But remember again, Jesus on the boat. Okay, he didn't sin. Alright, and the storm came, tried to sink his boat, because he was in the will of God. But there's Jonah as well. <laughs> okay, he was so out of the will of God, and the storm came as well. And he got thrown overboard. Okay, <laughs> that's the difference. Alright, so... Back to this. So beginning in Mark chapter 1, so let's go and look at this incident. Verse 23, it says there, Now there was a man in their synagogue with, or possessed by, an unclean spirit. Now Luke calls it an unclean demon, which is interesting. I wanted to put both of those things in there. Alright, so Mark um, uh, says it's a spirit. Luke says it's a demon. Alright, okay. Henriksen correctly points out that demon possession describes a condition in which a distinct and evil being, foreign to the person possessed, has taken control of that person. I like that. Just as a quick review, remember again that following the sin of Adam, Satan and his armies of demons gained access to this natural realm. And depending on their rank, nature, character, and temperament, they generally either possessed people, oppressed people, or ruled over cities. All according to Ephesians 6.12, where the Apostle Paul said, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rules of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Um, so, Depending on where they are. See, some things don't like to possess people. They just want to oppress people and they, you know, they want to push you in certain directions. All right? For them, it's a greater prize that you do something of your own free will, so to speak, even though they're the one pushing you to do it, than for them to make you do something. Are you all with me? Because if they, ma- if they are making you do something, then they have to keep making you do something, and there's always a chance somebody come and deliver them from that thing. And then the person won't do that anymore. Alright? So the higher demons don't want to possess, they want to oppress. They want to push you in certain directions, because once they push you that way, you know what? It becomes a real problem for us to try and bring you back. You understand? Okay. What kind of people do we call them? Backsliders. Okay, and boy, I tell you, you know why it's so hard to minister to them? Because they know everything. You said, you know, yep, I know that. Didn't work. And you know, yep, know that too. That didn't work either. Do you know what I'm trying to say? And it's so hard then to minister to them. That's what, yeah, so that's what the demon wants more than anything else, see? See, you, you deliver somebody from a demon, and my gosh, they're ready to be saved straight away generally. Because they've had enough of that. Are you all here? Okay, but oppression, if they're doing this after a while of their own free will, we got problems. Okay, just a little something for you to know. Alright, so, as a result of this, and according to Ephesians 2.2, Satan had become the god over the airspace surrounding the planet. With the Apostle Paul saying there, which, uh, which you once walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Notice the spirit who now works, which means they're still around there. Okay? They're still in that atmosphere. Thing is, you have dominion over all of it. Amen. You do have dominion over all of it. You all here? Okay, we just need to grow in that, that's all. Once this spiritual invasion took place, it opened the door to idol worship, human sacrifices, and every evil under the sun. John MacArthur explains that idol worship is a part of demon worship as demon spirits impersonate the idol and work their wicked strategies through the system of false religion tied to the false god. Uh, you all get that? 
Oh, good. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right, moving on then. So we, <laughs> we get a glimpse of the evil and horror that followed in Psalm 106, verses 37 and 38, where it says that they, referring to the Israelites, okay, these are the Israelites, even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons and shed innocent blood and the blood of their sons and daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan and the land was polluted with blood. Now, we think this is bad? Have a listen to what the commentary says. When a person bows to a graven image, he bows to the demon which lurks behind it. He becomes a prey to that demon which fastens upon his heart, mind and will. In the grossest forms of idolatry, human sacrifices are demanded. Little children are placed on the red hot lap of Moloch. Millions of victims are sacrificed. The gods of the heathens are devils. You all get all that? So this is what we this is this is horrible, isn't it? I mean your own kids, man. Israelites, God's chosen nation. You all here? Can see why God was so mad with them half the time, huh? Yeah, amen. So that's why the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 20, But I say the things which the, which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with devils. That's what he's saying. So he says, don't get involved with anything that is outside of God. Okay, now, let me just say this before I move on. I need to say this. Be careful that we don't become offensive either. Okay. Now, you know, so, sometimes people believe in certain religions and stuff. As long see, this read what it says, not what you think it says. All right? It's saying you don't sacrifice things to demons. Okay? Uh, and you know, if you saw somebody sacrifice something to you know, you'd probably stop it anyway. <laughs> okay, cuz we call the police, man, today, all right? That stuff didn't happen today. But the the, the thing is that you know, you can be in a place where it could be another religion as long as you're not worshiping the thing, you're okay. Alright, and you don't have to become all defensive about it and all uppity about it. Just, just don't worship it. You know, if you know to pray in tongues, pray in tongues. Or, you know, I don't know, something. Sing hallelujah chorus quietly under your breath. It'll upset all the demons and you can go, um, I don't know what to... <laughs> just look all innocent. You don't have to say anything out loud. Just your presence will upset things. But you, you can be, because of that, you can just be nice about everything. Be nice. Okay? Don't think that you are, you know, you have to defend God and everything. He's big enough, he'll manage, don't worry. Are you all here? Okay? Now, if people want to know something, fair enough. But you don't have to go and tell everybody and try to get everybody saved there. Okay? Just depending on the occasion as well. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Okay, go to somebody's funeral or something and you know, got some priest up there, you know, doing his thing. Don't start in the name of Jesus, okay? Just leave it. Y'all here? No, people do stuff like this, man. I'm telling you, okay? So I don't know where this is going. So I've got to say all of this stuff. I know you wouldn't, but okay. I'm just saying, whoever's listening, don't do that. All right, then don't call me either. All right, so. Because <laughs> you got in trouble. All right. Let's turn the page over. The Greek word for devils. I think, I think we're all on the next page. Okay. It refers to beings or gods of Greek mythology. I'm giving you a little bit of insight here because, you know, we hit, we're about to hit a scripture which has got a devil in it. And, I, you know, I don't want to take for granted you guys know stuff. Is that okay? So I'm going through this so you can have some idea and some insights into what all was happening back then. And then we can see now how powerful and what Jesus did was just so astonishing. Because this is what they were used to. They didn't know how to defeat these things. Remember the seven sons of <laughs> Sceva? 
you know and if it's in indian is seven sons of seva no. <laughs> okay no but you know they, remember they just they, they fail miserably Okay? They were playing with stuff, man. And, and, and the devils were okay until they used the name of Jesus. They said, whoa, okay. Now you've drawn a battle line and you don't even know it. So next thing, they're out running naked and all that stuff. And, you know, paparazzi's there taking pictures. No. Back to this. So, the, the, the Greek word for devils refers to beings or gods of Greek mythology that people worshipped at the time. Meaning that any worship to anything other than the God of the Bible is actually sin. Do you all get this? Okay. Just as an aside, one of the Hebrew words, um, just a little aside, okay? One of the Hebrew words for demon is sire, okay? Which is actually a Greek mythological creature that had the head and torso of a man, and the, uh, the head had horns, okay? Alright? And a body of a goat with hairy animal legs. You've, you've all seen this, right? There are several references to this creature in the Old Testament. With the first one being uh, appearing in Leviticus 17.7, where it says, And they shall no more offer their sacrifices unto devils. It's actually this word. So when, when they said that word, they got the picture of this, you know, person with a human in the, in the horns. The top half is human, the rest of it is all goat. <laughs> You're going to see an incredible parallel to something you've never seen before in a minute. Alright. It says, after whom they have gone a whoring. This shall be a, st- a statute forever unto them throughout their generations. Now you can understand why many devil worshippers even today still use the symbol of the goat in their worship of Satan. Yeah? Alright? Here it comes. With this in mind, what Jesus said in Matthew 25 now makes perfect sense. Especially verses 32 through 34, then in verse 41, when he says, And all the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate them as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Interesting reference, isn't it? Alright, especially in light of back then. Because there was this very clear distinction. Alright, and he said, He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then the king will turn to them, I'm in verse 41 now, on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. Interesting, isn't it? Alright, again, I'm not saying what all, but I just thought that was a very interesting reference in light of what we've just learnt. Amen? Why Jesus would use sheep and goats. Okay, I mean, you know, we just think of the animals, but there was something else, I believe, behind. Somebody has just sort of brought out the fact that uh, from a rural setting, sheep and goats actually hang around together. It it also shows us, as Christians, you know, we're always going to be, don't call them goats, okay? We're always going to be around (laughs) non-Christians, okay? You goat, okay? (laughs) All right? Um, And and that's always going to be the case. And we need to understand and be careful because a lot of times, you know, We have to be careful of the good person mentality. You know, so there's us with God, and then there are people that may not be following the Lord, but you know, they're not bad people. But can I just say this? All their influences are not going to be godly. Any advice they give you isn't going to be godly. You're going through a problem, they're not going to say, Praise God. You know what I'm trying to say? You know, they say, see this lawyer, see this is... And that's okay, there's, you know, there's help out here. But it needs to also be God-led. Whatever help even you get can be bad. Do you know that? 
Not everything out there. You know, somebody was just saying to me, you know, this, this person went into the hospital uh, just for a small little operation and then died a couple of days later. You know, and said, boy, thinking back on that, we shouldn't have done the little operation. It was so small, it was useless, it was not meant to. Died of an infection. You know, be careful. See, we take to granted prayer. We take for granted that God is watching over things. And when somebody says, oh, it was only a little thing, dear God, you lived. Yeah, but it was only a little thing. Yeah, not everybody does, but... Amen? Always be led by the Spirit, not just good ideas. They need to be God. Okay, hallelujah. Let me finish here. From this it is also obvious that God and the devil are not working together to perfect the church. Okay, can you see this? Alright, <laughs> right? Uh, especially since it says in Revelation tw- uh, 20 and verse 10, that the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. It doesn't say he was rewarded for perfecting the saints. Can we get an amen on this? Because be really careful, because there's a lot of people preaching out there that the devil is doing God's work. Okay? Alright. And he says, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Not a good end for them. Alright? Don't, you cannot convince me that the devil is working with God to perfect the saints when this is his end. Are you kidding? That's really dumb. Amen? That's really dumb. Okay. We're going to leave it there. We're going to, uh, when we come back from the grave, we're going to go back to Mark chapter 1 and we're going to actually look at the account that we're talking about that we never quite got into yet. All right, that we got all this background for. All right, take a break.